Well, waiting, waiting. You heard these words as we begin chapter 32, as that uh, Moses delayed coming down from the mountain. How many things get delayed? And we have to wait. And we hate waiting. In fact, I just jotted down things. Maybe might be my top 10. Uh, waiting for the person to go after the light turns green. <laughs> waiting in line at the grocery store. Waiting at the doctor's office. Waiting to get your drink at Starbucks. Waiting for family members to get in the car. <laughs> waiting for a parent to quiet their screaming kid. Waiting for the person to quit talking on their cell phone. Waiting for your tax returns. Waiting for the weather to warm up. Waiting for the pastor to get to the point and finish his message. <laughs> we don't like to wait for anything. And typically we're tempted to take matters into our own hands and resolve the situation. And most often that does not um, bode well for us. And there are more serious things. You know, you, you know, I just kind of jest about that, but we still remember hearing that our son in high school was in a car, a car accident, cars were totaled, and we couldn't get any more news for like 45 minutes. And we had to just, just wait to be able to hear um, that news. Some of you have gone to the doctor's office and they want to do some tests, and you have to wait to be able to hear back from those tests. Many of those things, more serious things, we face. And this story in Exodus 32 is one of those classic situations where God's people are told to wait. Um, Moses says, wait, I am going up to the, on the mountain. This is Mount Sinai, um, Mount Horeb. We've talked the mountain of God. And just before he had gone up 40 days, um, and he was up there for 40 days, the whole mountain was shaking and fire was coming down from heaven. So that, that kind of gives you a sense of awe of God. And you would think that that would kind of settle them for a while. And yet, after 40 days, we find this very situation. So how, how do we respond when we don't hear anything, particularly with God? We have to wait and wait. So how do you respond? When you have to wait, you're ready to go. It's like you say, okay, God, I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go. Just, just show me. Just tell me. And I'm ready to go. And you wait and wait and wait and wait. Okay, I'll wait a little bit longer. Now, that, that does it. I'm going to take matters into my own hands. And this is what we say, uh, see here. So from this chapter, and we really uh, have not read through the entire chapter, but... I want to make four observations about what God is doing in their lives because he's always at work in what he does. Uh, the first observation is the reason. The reason why God delays. Why, does, why is he waiting to respond? Why does he delay? And it's not because he's too busy. It, it's not because he has, uh, can everybody see that uh, on the screen? We're testing your eyesight. <laughs> um, why does God do this? He has, he has a reason for what he's doing. So when the people saw Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, and you'll, you'll 
track with me on this, on our whole series on Moses, is the reason is relationship. It's, it's not that he's delaying because of time or energy or got to get all these other things done or we got to hold off here. It, God is working toward relationship. And there are two relationships that he's really concerned about. First of all is with him. And secondly is with one another. And the entire set of Ten Commandments are really geared toward that. Loving God, the first four, and the last six, loving one another. So God is working that relationship. There's a beautiful verse, and I'd encourage you, if you, you want to write this down in the margin of your Bible or on your notes, is Isaiah 30, verse 18. This is what the prophet says. It says, therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you. He waits. And translating that Hebrew word actually means he longs. He longs. So his waiting is his longing to be gracious to you. And at the end of that verse, Isaiah 30, 18, he says, how blessed or how happy are those who wait for him. So in the, the idea of waiting is a longing. So God longs, he longs to be gracious to you. He's a good God. And how happy, how blessed are those who long for him, Isaiah 30, 18. That's one you, it is good to, to mark down. Waiting is the nature of faith. Um, you say, how do you live your life? By faith. By faith. How are you saved? By faith. We would say that's kind of core to our existence, the core to the substance of our belief, that we're saved by grace through faith. And how do you live? <laughs> Same way. It's not, it's not different. And so faith is what God is developing in his people, not just getting them from Egypt to the promised land. He was working in their lives what they need to develop their faith. And the very nature of faith is waiting. <laughs> so you think about how do, we, how, do we learn, how do we learn faith? Well, one, there's the teaching. And two, there's the testing. He teaches us about faith. He tells us what it is. You can't see it. You believe it. Um, we say believing is seen, not seeing is believing. So believing is seen. Hebrews describes it, the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. So he teaches us about faith. And then he tests us. None of us like the test, but the test really helps us to get it. So it's just not an intellectual faith, a knowledge. It has really been tested and proven in us. And so this is part of what God's doing is, you know, God could have, you know, just sent down the Ten Commandments. Say, okay, Moses, come on up. Here you go. Go. He delays. He delays 40 days. And 40, I think, is significant because that's, that kind of goes along with the number of testing. Jesus was 40 days in the wilderness, um, being tempted of the, at the end being tempted by the devil. Israel was 40 years in, in the wilderness. 40 days is we are going to give you a test to see if you get it. So 
The just shall live by faith. We see that in the Old Testament and we see that in the New Testament. The just, in other words, God's people are to live by faith. In Hebrews it says, without faith, it's impossible to please him. So, so faith is waiting, anticipating. It is, what I like to say, if you define that, is taking God at his word. If I were to define faith, I would say, it's taking God at his word. You act out on that. Believing what you cannot see and waiting. One of the great examples, I ask you this, who is the father of faith in the Old Testament? Father of faith, Abraham. Okay, so he kind of sets the course. And God teaches him about faith, but he really gets tested too. He said, Abraham, or at the beginning, Abram, you're going to be the father of many nations. He's 75 years old. Now, they lived a little longer back then, but not that much longer. At 75, he said, you're going to be the father of many nations. Okay, okay. 76, 77, 78, 79, 80 years old. And um, eventually he has a son. He's 100. <laughs> His wife is 90. You say, is, is God, what's God doing? God is he, he's teaching. He, he's testing. And we see there are a number of stories through the life of Abraham to where it's God. God wants him to get it, and he wants all of the children of Israel, all of his descendants, which we have here of Abraham, to, to really get and understand the nature of faith. And that's relationship. You know, I think of the, if you, I, I said I like reading the Psalms and, uh, because I resonate with so much of it. You know, he's crying out to God. He's, he's expressing himself. You know, he doesn't hold back the way he talks. And one of the familiar phrases is this. How long, Lord? How long, Lord? Have you ever felt that way? How long? How long? What you're praying for, what you need, what you've been asking for, what you've been waiting for. Honestly, that's kind of the way I live. Because there are so many things I'm waiting to see God do. Wanting to see God do. And it's not just getting that thing done. In God's mind, it's having a relationship with me. And that's what he longs for and he wants me to long for the same thing. So there's a reason. There's a reason why God delays every time he has the power to do every and and in fact everything he wants to do he can do in a split second there's a reason why he's and particularly for you right now what you are waiting for and every one of you could give me a list right there's a reason secondly my second observation is a response so when there's a delay, there's a wait, there's a pause, there's a red light, there's a long line, there's a response. Okay? I mean, we don't, it just doesn't hit us neutrally. We respond in a certain way. 
And so in Exodus 32, 1, here's what Israel says. Make us gods who shall go before us. Make us gods. You're thinking, how in the world, how in the world can they go so quickly from being in awe of fire coming down from heaven and the whole mountain shaking to make us gods? I'll tell you how. Have you ever been praying, just talking to the Lord and committing your day to him, and in a split second you have a thought that is not pleasing to him? In your own mind, how quickly, how quickly you can abandon what's pleasing to God and go to horrible thoughts about other people, lustful thoughts, angry thoughts. It, ha it can happen. It happens to us. Now, it's easy for us to read about them and say, oh, I can't believe that. I can't believe they did that. <clears throat> well, I can believe that. And, and particularly if everybody's being affected by it, you start getting around in your little holy huddles and start saying, you know what, we ought to do this, we ought to do this, and this is how we ought to respond. And it's not encouraging people in the right way. You see how quickly we can forget. And there are many responses to a time of testing. So God teaches. He brings a time of testing. And now we're going to see response. And, and there are many responses. I, I could say we could, we could probably have 100 or 1,000 responses. But there, there are really only two motivating forces behind all the responses. One is fear. And one is faith. And it's always going to be that way. God wants us to live by faith. And what do you contrast faith with? Fear. Fear. And, and, and fear will drive you to do a lot of things. And faith will drive you to do a lot of things. As we said, faith is taking God's word. As simple as that. Even though you can't see it, it results in obedience and blessing and peace. Always, when we walk in faith, it results in obedience and blessing and peace. And I would say enjoy. That is the fruit of faith. That's the way we're called to walk. But that is not my natural response. Um, you know, if I, all the list I had of red lights and lined at the grocery store, and what's my, what's my first response? I get a little ticked, a little bit impatient, maybe say something under my breath, go get another line. <laughs> that ends up being the longer one. Uh, no, I mean, you contrast, and this is really the contrast, either faith or fear. Fear usually begins with frustration. Things aren't happening. And I know God is going to work and pray, but they're not happening, and they're not happening soon enough. And what's interesting, when you look at how God shapes Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and you see how he shapes Joseph, and all the way through the scriptures, there, there are always these great periods of time, of delay, of waiting. And he is working his purposes. The initial response is kind of like, I, I probably date myself, but 
my kids watch this and my grandkids have watched Bambi. Ever watched Bambi? And um, there's a scene in, in the story of Bambi where three little baby pheasants are hiding from the hunter. Man. <laughs> and he, he is getting closer and closer. And they're having this little conversation in, in the brush. And say, he's, he's coming. He's coming. The hunter's coming. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? He said, shh. He said, shh. Be quiet. He said, I can't, I can't be quiet. I'm going to fly. I'm going to fly. Don't fly. Whatever you do, don't fly. And then this one little pheasant says, I can't take it anymore. And just flies up. And then I'll save the dramatic effects. <laughs> but... Uh, that instincts, you know, and, and that's like this. We can't take it anymore. I, everyone has their limit. And we feel like we're patient. So what do we fear? We fear of the future. Fear of missing out. I'm going to miss out on something. Fear of loss. Fear of not having enough. Fear of what people think. Fear of not being in control of the situation. We could go on. And so fear takes us to sorrow and loss and pain and misery, disobedience, just the opposite of faith. So the reason, relationship. Response is going to be two things. You're going you're to function out of faith or you're going to function out of fear. And your natural tendency is not the more spiritual one because of the, the, the nature, the human nature that we have. So let's move on to the third observation, the result. What, what actually happens uh, when people respond uh, from God being silent? And there's always a result of how we do this. So we read through from verses 3 to 6, and I'll just put up the, uh, the one verse here of, of verse 6. But let me, let me read the earlier part. It says, So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graven, gra uh, graving tool and made a golden calf. Now, it's significant about the golden calf because that's what all of the other nations would do. It was a god of fertility. They saw that in Egypt. They see that in all the other nations. And um, so this is what is formed. And they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And Aaron saw this. He built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation. He's saying, is that Aaron the high priest? Yeah. <laughs> Thinking, what has happened? He made a proclamation, said, tomorrow we shall have a feast to the Lord. And notice what it says, Lord, Jehovah. So these are your gods. We'll make a feast to the Lord. It's kind of a conflicting. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought uh, peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And, and basically, basically, it was a vile, wicked um, immoral party. It was like the worst thing you could possibly imagine uh, of sinfulness. So here Moses is up receiving the Ten Commandments and, and really down here they're breaking all of them. They're breaking all of them after 40 days. Now think about Aaron. Aaron is Moses' brother. 
his older brother. He's in charge of eventually over all the priests, all of the religious part of Israel. He is the spiritual leader under Moses. And so Moses leaves him in charge. <laughs> okay. And he, you talk about the fear of man, the fear of people. They start rumbling around and he's trying to, he's trying to, to appease the people. This isn't, this isn't um, something that just happened in history. It happens all the time where spiritual leaders cater and give in and cave to the demands of the common culture, the, the current culture of the world, and the pressure of people. He takes matters into his own hands, and he comes up with, oh, I've got a solution. I've got a solution. I understand Moses is delayed, so we've got to do something. So why don't you give me all your gold? We'll make this golden calf just like the other nations. Oh, that's going to make people feel real good. We're just like everybody else. And then these are the gods that brought us out of Egypt. And then said, we're going to have a big feast and use this to worship the Lord. Oh, so we're not, we're not turning our back on God. But he's led them to break the first three commandments. Have no other gods before me. Don't create any graven images or idols. And don't take the name of the Lord your God in vain, which he's done all of that. But what I, what I find is interesting, and, and, we, and, and I apply this to today, pragmatic, there's nothing wrong with prag, pragmatism. You know, everybody looks for ways to make things work. But when you compromise the absolute truth of God and try to accommodate the current culture, you're going to run into trouble. There is only one absolute truth. When you go over to these other nations, many times missionaries would go over to these far um, distant places on islands where they have all of this uh, culture of demon worship and, and, uh, and superstition and so forth. And our, our kids were over there in uh, Micronesia. You'd see a lot of that on the islands. And so when they bring the gospel about God, about Jesus Christ, about the resurrection, they embrace it. But they don't get rid of their God, other gods. You know, why would you need to do that? And so we just kind of blend it all together, and it's called syncretism. We call that syncretism. That's what's happening in our own country. So we accommodate the flesh. We accommodate what the world wants. We accommodate a popular gospel, a popular Christianity, and, and we kind of self-style our own religion. And you know what it does? It's kind of like, I'm going to create a God and create a religion that serves what I want. And man has always been that way. You know, if I had a God, if I could make my own God, he would do this and this and this for me. So, in other words, that God serves me. And we've got it completely flipped around. We are to serve God. What did Israel do? Well, they grew impatient, they create their own gods, they break all the commandments. Um, John Calvin said, man's nature is, so to speak, a perpetual factory of idols. So your heart, your nature is, I'm going to just 
keep on producing idols. And an idol is, is of course, anything you worship, anything you ascribe worth or value to over God. And you can tell what you worship by where you spend your time, your energy, your money, what you talk about. And if that's kind of controlling your life, then that's an idol. It doesn't have to be some brass or gold structure or some pillar that you have in your house. And it is anything that you set up in your life that's more important than God. And our natural tendency, even, even for me, for each of you, is to create those gods of what I want. So they rose up to play, eating, drinking, dancing, celebrating, immoral behavior, and, and it spirals out of control to complete lawlessness, breaking all of the Ten Commandments. Now let's step back for a minute and look at the chaos of, of breaking all of the Ten Commandments, the moral laws of God. Remember how we describe the Ten Commandments at ten words? even though we have more words as we explain each one, but ten words. And in the New Testament, they're all summed up in one word. Jesus did that for us. Remember what that word was? Jesus said you can sum up all the commandments in this one word. Love. Love the Lord, and, and to expand upon one word, to love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul with all your strength to love the Lord. You know what? If you do that, the natural outflow is keeping all those commandments. At least the first four. And the second, he said, is like to it. To love your neighbor as yourself. The next six commandments have to do with loving me loving you and you loving me in this way. And if I really love you, I'm not going to steal from you. I'm not going to commit adultery. I'm not going to bear false witness. No. So we get, we get to the heart. And that's what Jesus always did. Get to the heart of these commands. The heart is love. To love the Lord with all your heart, to love your neighbor as yourself. So I want you to see that. I want you to see that. Because what, what happened to Israel is they lost their first love. They lost their love. That's the, the driving force in all of this. Now, I'll give you this little quiz. The most famous description of love in the New Testament, just describing what it looks like, is 1 Corinthians 13. Okay? Beautiful. Beautiful. And it gives all of these words that describe love. If we define love, God is love. If we describe love, and the very first one mentioned, love is patient. Love is patient. So if I love God, what's that going to look like? Patient. If I love you, you can tell your spouse you love them all the time, but if you're not patient, you don't love them. I mean, this, this is descriptive. And to me, it's so powerful because what God has taught them that, 
Now he's testing the patience because he's taught them, love the Lord your God. Love your neighbor as yourself. Now I'm testing you. And the first way, first test is on patience. <laughs> Just as God is waiting, longing to be gracious to you, you are, you are to be waiting, longing for him. To me, it, it's a powerful message. So Moses comes down the mountain. He's with Joshua. He hears all the music. He says, it's not the sound of war. It's a sound of celebration. He comes down, and he has these tablets written on both sides, and he sees what's happening, and what does he do with the stone tablets? He throws them down. He breaks them in his anger. Now, it doesn't explain what God really thought about that. I think, you know, that's pretty sacred stuff there. Um, you know, God just, you spend 40 days up there and God's, God's giving us, he's written with the finger of God written on this. And um, you're going to catch, but he was so angry. And he took the golden calf and he ground it up into powder, put it in water and made the people drink it. And that day God brought judgment on Israel. There's always going to be a price to pay when we take matters into our own hands and try to fix things for God. God is always working for your good. He, he never stops working for your good. God is always working for your good. When you take matters in your hands, you just disrupt all of that. They sinned against God. They sinned against one another. They sinned against Moses. And 23,000 people died that day. It's a lot of people. And that's kind of at the end here. We actually, that statistic is not in this passage. We find that in 1 Corinthians 10. So that's kind of at the end of the story. So I'm going to, before we get to the 23,000 people, let me get to my fourth observation. Um, the fourth observation is reconciliation. Reconciliation. Or I might use the word redemption. In verse 32, verse 30, we get to toward the end of the chapter, it says, the next day Moses said to the people, you have sinned a great sin. And now I will go up to the Lord, perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. That's powerful. And we're gonna, again, we're going to see pictures of Christ in this because we have them more explicitly stated when we get to the New Testament. But on the, on the way down, after after he receives the Ten Commandments, he's God says, "Go back down." The people have rose, you know, they've risen up against me. And he said to Moses. Basically, stand back. I'm going to destroy them all and make to you a new nation. I think a lot of us would go, yeah, do it. <laughs> do it. And Moses pleads with God. 
He pleads with God, and, and, he, and he uses the argument, how can you do that to the people that you have delivered from Egypt that you provided for? And, and he gives all this reasoning. And he even says to the Lord, if you don't do that, then Lord, blot me out. Blot me out in the sense of the book of life. Wow. You see, Moses had a heart. This is what we see, a little insight. He had a heart for God, and he had a heart for his people. Even though they were so wicked. And when you look at Psalm 106, let me just kind of read this um, part of Psalm 106, which, which gives a description. It says, they made a calf in Horeb and worshipped a metal image. They exchanged the glory of God for the image of an ox that eats grass. They forgot God, their Savior, who had done great things in Egypt, wondrous works in the land of Ham, and awesome deeds by the Red Sea. Therefore, he said he would destroy them. Had not Moses, so God said, I will destroy them. Had not Moses, his chosen one, stood in the breach before him to turn away his wrath from destroying them. Isn't that something? That's Psalm 106. So Moses is like, he's like Christ. You know, God is going to destroy the earth. Every person who sinned. And Jesus steps into the breach, into the gap. And he is both the interceder, intercession, and atonement. Those are two words I think of Moses. I think of intercession. He steps in. God, and I'm arguing based on your character and what you have said to me. I'm interceding for these people. And then he talks about, he uses the word atonement. I'll make, see if I can make an atonement. How did they make an atonement in that day? Well, we, we go back to Egypt when they're, they're getting ready to leave. And remember, they slew the lamb. They took the blood, put it on the, the doorpost of the house. And the Lord said, when I see the blood, I'll pass over you. So the blood was an atonement for their sins that was a picture of the coming Christ, the Lamb of God, John 1, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, Jesus, who shed his blood as a perfect substitute. The, the, the sheep was just a picture of atonement. Now Jesus would be atonement. So you see all of this in, in here. And he is providing a way to be reconciled to God. This is the beauty. No matter how we mess up, and we do, we get impatient. We, we, we act in fear. We take matters into our own hands. We do horrible things after just seeing God. And he's there. So what Jesus has done to intercede for us, to make atonement for us, and we turn to him. I've often defined the word repentance is turning from fear to faith, from to the flesh to the spirit, from Satan's domain to God's domain. And here's what Martin Luther said. He said, the Christian life is one continual repentance. Say, so how often 
do you need to repent every day probably every hour because the natural tendency is to do what's fearful not what acts in faith to serve yourself rather than to serve God so I ask you this question have you ever found yourself growing impatient with God now we grow impatient at Starbucks and on the road but I'm talking about have you grown impatient with God I have I have and that that impatience can lead to frustration can lead to anger and can lead to taking matters into my own hands and making things miserable for everyone there's a reason what's the reason God has you wait it's relationship That's what it's about don't forget that it's relationship it's not about it's not about getting her done it's about relationship there is a response and your response will be either to act in fear like everybody else does or to act in faith the result of your response will set a course for your life and at your worst possible hour remember there's reconciliation there's reconciliation isn't that beautiful I mean he intercedes Christ just like Moses he intercedes for us he makes atonement for us and he's there for us so my takeaway um, the point that I want to get to how will you wait how will you wait typically we think of waiting as just this uh, it's it's passive it's just sitting there stewing waiting and thinking things but I want to challenge you in active waiting in three ways we actively wait first in Thanksgiving we give thanks and praise to God that's how you wait you constantly thank him you constantly praise him for all that he is for all that he has done for all that he has promised you and you could go on and on and on you get into the habit while you wait is thanking him for everything you'll never run out of material by the way number two by obeying obey what you know there's a lot more that you don't know than you do know I've said that to you before <clears throat> it's kind of humbling thought there's a lot more you don't know than you do do know and so in any given situation where God calls you to wait you know enough to be obedient right now today don't you so we try to create what's happened tomorrow what are we gonna do tomorrow what happens if this and this you don't need to obey that you need to obey what you know today what God has revealed to you today and when when you're obedient to what you know you're gonna be in the right place that's what fell apart for Aaron and all these people and thirdly in anticipating anticipating so Thanksgiving obeying and anticipating 
How does anticipating help me? Because I anticipate all that he's going to do. If I know he's always good and everything he's doing is good and the reason he delays is good, then I anticipate him bringing it to pass in his time. And, and that looks past today and tomorrow and on to eternity. Folks, we have got to get our eyes up from the muck of this life and see past all the challenges to eternity. And when you have that focus, you can wait in calmness. So it's not passive, it's active. Actively thanksgiving, actively obeying, actively anticipating. And in his time, in his time, he'll bring it to pass. You know, that's a test. We love the teaching, so I'm done. I'm done. I know you've been waiting for that. I'm done. I'm done teaching. You go home, you have testing. How are you going to respond? How are you going to respond? Just remember, behind all this, there's a loving God showing goodness to you. It's all about relationship. Let's bow together. Father, just thank you for your word. We just see the absolute consistency from Old Testament to, to New of you drawing us to yourself, longing toward us to be gracious. And how you say, how blessed are those who long for you. May we be a people who long for you, anticipate you. Help us when things get delayed this week to remember these things and to act in faith, not fear. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.